Howdy, howdy, folks. I am Father Fred Gatched, and you are tuned into the Double-Edged Sword program here on the Divine Mercy family of Catholic radio stations, KMDG 105.7 Hayes, KJDM 101.7 Lindsberg Salina, KRTT 88.1 Great Bend, and where it all began, KVDM 88.1 Hayes. And on the Double-Edged Sword program, we are cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. And on this installment of Double-Edged Sword, I've been doing some thinking lately about, you know, whenever we think about the Trinity, we think about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, mostly because of, you know, very successful Christian iconography. You look at art throughout the ages. Most of us think, although it's a, it's a bad assumption, but we think anyway, that we have some kind of a handle on who God the Father is all about. He's the guy with the long white hair and the long white beard with a long white flowing white robe that sits in a big chair, you know, in a throne kind of thing in heaven. We think, erroneously, that we have some kind of a handle on who God the Son is. He's about six foot tall, long brown hair, beard, you know, wears a white tunic and kind of a red sash across the front of him. And he's the Son of God and he loves us and, we, you know, we think we got that all figured out. But, you know, when it comes to God the Holy Spirit, that's quite another deal altogether. Because, first of all, in our art, we don't really have a unified idea of what God the Holy Spirit looks like. Sometimes we picture God the Holy Spirit as a dove, you know, again, which comes from Scripture. Sometimes we picture God the Holy Spirit as fire, which also comes from Acts chapter 2 on the first Pentecost. We picture the Holy Spirit as wind. Um, that comes from the book of Genesis, whenever it says, in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was a formless waste. In Hebrew, tohu wabohu, I always like that. But it says, and the Spirit of God hovered above the, the waters. So, you know, we have the Spirit as wind, you know, kind of in the first moments of creation. And then again, we have that strong driving wind again in Acts chapter 2. In the book of Wisdom, the Spirit of God is described as a wise old woman. You know, if you're taking Hebrew, and um, you, you know, a lot of languages other than English have what we call masculine and feminine nouns. And so um, when you're taking Hebrew and you say the book of Wisdom, there's all kinds of feminine references in there because, um, again, the Holy Spirit in, the, in, the, in the, the Book of Wisdom is pictured to us as a wise old woman, kind of like your grandma, you know, who has lots of experience and is patient and kind and seems to know the right thing to say and do in every situation. So it looks like that, you know, the Holy Spirit seems to defy our attempts to categorize or pigeonhole or to try to somehow or another, you know, control the Spirit by you know, by putting a picture to it, assigning a, an image to it. And maybe God does that on purpose. You know, maybe that's God's way of declaring independence from us. Even though he is, in fact, independent, I think sometimes we think we have God kind of domesticated, and as long as God does what we think he should do, then he's okay. But then when he doesn't, then we get upset. Well, the thing of it is, he's God and we're not. And I think the nature of the Holy Spirit sort of drives that home. But the problem is, is again, I think, you know, I would challenge any one of us to stop and think. When we go to prayer, we, you know, very often address our prayers to God the Father. You know, we'll start off a prayer saying, Heavenly Father, I ask you to bless this day and to help me get through whatever, so on and so forth. And we'll make the prayer, we make this prayer through Christ your Son. You know, we ask Jesus to present the prayer to God, um, which is all very good. Or, you know, we'll pray to Jesus, you know, Lord Jesus, gentle Savior, you know, I come to you in this time of need or, you know, whatever. But how many of us have ever purposely and deliberately made a prayer to the Holy Spirit? 
How many of us ever sit down, you know, begin our prayer, preface our prayer with Holy Spirit of God, you know, and then kind of go from there? Well, the thing of it is, my guess is probably very few of us do. And I think there's kind of a reason for that. And on one hand, the, the reason is, you know, is reasonable. It's something that kind of makes sense. And on the other hand, it's not. And both the, the reasonableness and the unreasonableness of it both will, um, will help us to kind of figure out, I think, a little bit more about what the Holy Spirit's truly about. And so, again, the reason for doing this particular installment of um, Double-Edged Sword is kind of twofold. Number one, just to get us to explore the Holy Spirit more than what we probably are used to doing, and we'll have a bunch of scriptural things here to back it up here in just a second. But then also, I think, to kind of put things into a more realistic perspective. You know, we live in a time where we are very visually activated. You know, everybody's carrying around their little dumb phone. Everybody's carrying around a little iPad. And everybody's hooked into the internet almost 24 hours a day. And so you can always just go tap, tap, tap on the screen in one of these things. And you can have some kind of a visual image of something. And having a visual image of something just seems to make it all that much more real to us. In our Western culture, you know, we very much are addicted to our eyesight. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just kind of the way it is. But I think at the same time, we also have to understand that there are a lot of things that we simply cannot see but are nonetheless just as real. And in our times when everything has to be shown to us, everybody wants to see the video, if that is the only thing that's going to be real to us, we're going to be missing out on a lot of other things that are real as well, not the least of which is the power and the action of the Holy Spirit. You know, in a lot of the, I always call them the happy clappies, you know, kind of the evangelical and Pentecostal churches where the so-called worship service is just a bunch of people clapping their hands and waving their arms and, you know, singing songs and stuff like that. I mean, I suppose that makes you feel good. Go ahead. But I don't know if there's a whole lot of scriptural basis to claim that that's somehow some kind of worship of God. But you know, this whole idea of being slain in the spirit and speaking in tongues, you know, and so on. Well, the thing that is, I think what we want to look at in this installment of, of Double-Edged Sword is, first of all, I think the, the thing we're going to really end up focusing on is this whole idea of speaking in tongues and what that is and what that is not about. But then, on our way to talking about speaking in tongues, we're also going to look at what the action of the Holy Spirit really truly looks like as evidence to us from Scripture, and that's pretty important. You know, because we're going to see what St. Paul, for example, tells us about the action of the Holy Spirit. Because um, sometimes, again, since we're so visually activated, if we can't see something happening in front of us in kind of a dramatic way, then we just kind of tend to think, well, it just must not exist. Well, the thing of it is, that just isn't true. And a lot of life will bear that out. But again, we'll, we'll see a bunch of scripture here that will bear it out as well. I remember some years ago, when I was teaching at TMP, had a girl in our class, she was in the residence program, and I don't think she was Catholic, she came in from another town. She was taking my Old and New Testament scripture class, and one time she, you know, we were just talking about stuff in class, and she kind of blurted out, well, you know, you Catholics, you know, I, I come to Mass here at school, you know, whenever we have Mass here at school, and Mass is so boring, at my church we speak in tongues. And I said, really? Well, that's nice. And the whole thing with speaking in tongues is, I'm not going to just dismiss it out of hand because it is attested to in Scripture. But what we're going to see when we look at what Scripture says about speaking in tongues, Scripture doesn't say that much about it. In fact, Scripture kind of brushes it aside as being kind of irrelevant in favor of greater things. And it's those greater things, I think, that we want to talk about. And so that's what we're going to kind of be looking at here today. 
So, you know, first of all, I think whenever we when we want to talk about the action of the, of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit is doing and and where we can kind of have an acid test as to whether or not the Holy Spirit is truly doing something, is truly active in our lives, again, it's not going to be, you know, with people flopping around in the aisle and, you know, making unintelligible sounds. I think, first of all, the first distinction we need to make is what the idea, you know, when we talk about speaking in tongues and what that is, as opposed to what happened on Pentecost. You know, if we go back to Acts chapter 2, and um, in fact, if you want to follow along in this installment of Double-Edged Sword, you want to get your Bible out, and we're going to look at Acts chapter 2, and then we also want to um, look at um, the first letter of the Corinthians, chapters 12, 13, and 14, so if you want to be ready for that. But in Acts chapter 2, when we read about the first Pentecost, this is chapter 2, verse 1 and following, we'll read a few verses and talk about it. It says, when the time of Pentecost was fulfilled, they were all in one place together. Okay, first of all, what's Pentecost? In this particular context, it is not the Holy Spirit coming upon the apostles. The Jews have a feast of Pentecost as well that comes 50 days after Passover. Our Pentecost comes 50 days after Easter. So there's a day or two of fudge in there because, you know, Passover was on Holy Thursday, and then Jesus died on Good Friday and rose from the dead on Easter Sunday. So there, you know, the, day, the days don't exactly match up. The Pentecost of the Jews was 50 days after Passover, and it celebrates the Jews arriving at Mount Sinai. That 50 days after Passover, you know, they had the Passover supper, as read in the book of Exodus, and then that night the angel of death came through Egypt, killed all the firstborn of the Egyptians, including Pharaoh's firstborn, and then Pharaoh drives the Israelites out of Egypt. They go out into the desert, they get to the Red Sea, God opens up the Red Sea, the Israelites walk through, God drowns out the Egyptian army, the Israelites go on from there. You know, there's some problems along the way, a lot of bickering and complaining, but they eventually arrive at Mount Sinai where God gives the people the law. And that's what the Jews celebrate on Pentecost. And so in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, when it says, when the time of Pentecost was fulfilled, what they're talking about is the Jewish celebration of Pentecost, which celebrates God giving Moses the law, the Ten Commandments from Mount Sinai. But it says, and suddenly there came from the sky a noise like a strong driving wind, and it filled the entire house where they were. Then there appeared on them tongues as of fire. Now here we got the word tongues, and it's going to confuse things, but we'll straighten this out. Which parted and came to rest on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them to proclaim. Okay, so we've got the tongues of fire and the people speaking in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them to proclaim. Now, the deal here, though, is that it says that later on, and that was in verse 4 and verse 5, it says, Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven, staying in Jerusalem. They had come there for the Passover. At this sound, they gathered in a large crowd, but they were confused because each one heard the apostles speaking to them in his own language. Okay? They were astounded in amazement, and they asked, Are these not people speaking Galileans? How do we hear them in our own native language? We are Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, inhabitants of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya near Cyrene, as well as travelers from Rome, and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, yet we hear them speaking in our own tongues of the mighty acts of God. Now, in the Acts of the Apostles, whenever it talks about you know, tongues of fire and the apostles speaking in tongues, what they're, what's happening here is they are speaking intelligible languages. 
It's as if one of us was to just spontaneously break into speaking, you know, Mandarin Chinese or Farsi or French or, you know, some language that we never studied, all right? And that's what happens here. St. Luke records in the Acts of the Apostles, all these people, the Parthians, Medes, Elamites, you know, inhabitants of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, you know, Libya, Rome, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so it says that all of a sudden the apostles were given by the Holy Spirit the power to speak these foreign languages which they themselves had never studied. It's pretty much common knowledge that the apostles were not, you know, men of letters. They, they didn't, you know, have um, very advanced educations, if any education at all. And so this is what has the people stumped. They're going, how are these simple Galileans all of a sudden able to speak fluently the language that I speak? And, you know, it looks like there's about eight or ten different groups that are represented. And so the, you know, 11 or 12 apostles are up there, you know, speaking languages that no one had ever, that they had never studied before. So that's the first piece. And so we have to keep this part straight because whenever, in, whenever Acts 2 talks about it, the apostles are speaking real languages, okay? Again, they're speaking Arabic, they're speaking Latin, they're speaking whatever languages they speak in Crete and Cappadocia and whatever, right? And again, it would be just like if all of a sudden somebody that you, that you knew or a group of people, you know, the Holy Spirit gave them the, the power even though they never studied these languages and all of a sudden they could speak fluent Arabic or Chinese or Spanish or something like that. So that's one thing that we're, that we're talking about when we talk about speaking in tongues, all right? But the thing of it is, though, this isn't what we typically think about, you know, whenever you have the happy, clappy gospel good time hour and these, you know, various Protestant sects and so on that talk about speaking in tongues. What they're talking about is the Holy Spirit taking possession of someone. And again, the, the, this isn't something that we can just dismiss because it's attested to in Scripture, and I'm perfectly willing to accept that it can happen. What I'm not willing to accept is that it happens with the regularity that people seem to want to manufacture it to happen. But, the, but it is attested to in Scripture that someone can be taken possession of by the Holy Spirit, and then they're just so overwhelmed by the experience that when they try to put into words what they're experiencing, just gibberish comes out. And the gibberish just might be unintelligible sounds of people just kind of making strange noises or whatever, but there are certainly no words. There's no, it's not, again, like they're speaking Chinese or Japanese or Arabic or, you know, German or something like that. They're just making unintelligible noises. That's why St. Paul says if someone is going to speak in the tongue, someone else has to interpret the tongue. And so if the, if the Holy Spirit's going to take possession of one person to where they're so overwhelmed by the presence of the Spirit that they can't put the experience into words and they're just making these funny noises, well, then, then there has to be someone else that has the gift of the Holy Spirit to be able to interpret those funny noises for everybody else. And we're going to find out that's really the important part that comes along. So that's the first piece. Now, the thing of it is, this isn't that hard to understand. Sometimes, you know, we're just completely beside ourselves, sometimes for good reasons, sometimes for bad reasons. I know that sometimes, like, for example, when they, when they bring the, the father's firstborn child out, it isn't so much the case with the mother. She's been carrying the child for nine months, and she's already bonded with that child. But when they bring the, you know, the newborn baby out to dad and put him in dad's arms, and then dad is just so overwhelmed by the experience, you know, he'll, he'll just say things and he won't finish his sentence. You know, he'll, you know, this is, but, you know, my, my son, I can't believe what, what am I, and, you know, they just kind of babble like that. 
And so, you know, it's it's this unintelligible babbling by being overwhelmed by so great of an, you know, an experience just so far beyond what we're used to that that is what we would call, you know, kind of being slain in the spirit or, you know, speaking in tongues or something like that. Now, so the thing of it is then is if that's what we mean by speaking in tongues, again, let's keep this straight from spontaneously speaking a language that exists, all right? A language that I never studied before, and now by the gift and the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm able to speak that language so that somebody else can understand me. That is not speaking in tongues in the sense that it's understood in the rest of Scripture and in in a lot of um, um, Protestant sects, all right? So if that's not what it is, and, and again, we talk about you know, the, you know, this, the, the, the movement of the Spirit. Well, then let's look and see what, what Scripture tells us, what the, what the presence and the manifestation of the Spirit really does look like. Now, where we're going to find this is, is if you start off in, in the first letter of the Corinthians, chapter 12, all right? Um, so if you got your Bible handy, you might want to dig that out, 1 Corinthians 12. And it starts off. St. Paul says, because see, what happens in the first letter of the Corinthians, it's just a treasure trove of goodies. And evidently what must have happened is the people in Corinth had sent a messenger or had written a letter to St. Paul, and they had a whole bunch of questions in there to him, okay? And they were asking about things about, like, you know, the institution of the Eucharist, marriage. Um, 1 Corinthians 7 has all kinds of advice in there, you know, to people who are getting married, to widows and widowers, to people who are consecrating their life to the service of God, you know, and so on. And so, you know, Paul's answering these questions. And so he starts off chapter 12 answering a question. He says, now in regard to spiritual gifts. So again, they must have written to him asking about spiritual gifts. And so St. Paul says, I don't want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were constantly attracted and led away to mute idols. Therefore, I tell you, nobody speaking in the spirit of God says, Jesus be accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, here Paul now is going to talk about the various manifestations of the Spirit. In, in chapter 12, verse 4, he says, There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different forms of service, but the same Lord. There are different workings, but the same God who produces all of them in everyone. So he talks about Spirit, Lord, and God. All right. To each individual, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for some benefit. So the manifestation of the Spirit's going to come to us to help somebody else out. And Paul's going to talk about this a bunch in chapter 14. But now he says, To one is given through the Spirit the expression of wisdom. To another, the expression of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, mighty deeds, to another, prophecy, to another, discernment of spirits, to another, variety of tongues, and to another, interpretation of tongues. Now, here when Paul says tongues, he means someone being overwhelmed by the presence of the Holy Spirit, and they just can't put that experience into words, and so they just mumble a bunch of gibberish. You'll notice it's the last one on the list, and this is important, especially when we get to the end of chapter 12, all right? But it's the last one on the list is varieties of tongues and then interpreting the tongues. But notice, first of all, what Paul says is, you know, the, the true manifestation of the Spirit, first of all, has to benefit other people. And it's such things as expressing wisdom and knowledge and faith and gifts of healing and mighty deeds and prophecy and so on. So, you know, that doesn't exactly 
line up with, the, with this dramatic idea of people flopping around the aisle in the church revival somewhere, speaking in some kind of language that nobody can understand. All right? Now then, as we get to verse 12 in chapter 12, St. Paul then, he, he likes using this, this analogy where he compares the body of Christ, that is, all of us believers, to a human body. And, and he says, basically, I'm gonna, just going to summarize all this rather than reading it all here on the air. You can read it for yourself. It's um, basically chapter um, verses 12 through um, 20, 26. But St. Paul talks about you know, the, that you know, a body has a hand and a body has a foot, and a body has an eye and a body has an ear. A hand and a foot are not the same. An eye and an ear are not the same. They are not equal. And it's a lot of this, this equality nonsense that people always insist on that really kind of gets us in a bunch of trouble. In fact, you know, I think that one of the main problems we have today is just this, this tremendous confusion that's going on out there because of people's sloppy words, use of words. Because on the one hand, you know, you've got people with bumper stickers saying, celebrate diversity. What does diversity mean? Well, diverse, diversity means we're all different. And then they'll turn around and go, but we're all the same. Well, diversity or same, which is it? They can't logically both coexist. It has to be one or the other, all right? It's like saying, well, I like getting wet as long as I can stay dry. Well, you can't have it both ways. Either you're going to jump in the water and get wet, or you're going to stay out and be dry, you know? But, it, you know, so, you know, you can see that that, that that just doesn't work. And so the hand is different from the foot. The eye is different from the ear. And every part has its own particular role to play. And St. Paul says that. And, and again, you know, he says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you, nor the head say to the feet, I do not need you. Even though the, um, and so, you know, so St. Paul talks about the various parts of the body. I mean, I like having two hands. I like having two feet. I like having my head. You know, I don't want somebody to chop my head off. But the thing of it is, all of these parts are different. And my head that controls everything else likes having two hands to get what the head wants done, done. And it likes having two feet to take the head to where it wants to go and things like that. But an eye and a hand are not the same. A foot and an ear are not the same. So then at the end of chapter 12, then St. Paul then kind of caps it all off. And he says, and this starts in verse 27. Now, you are Christ's body and individually parts of it. Now, he says in verse 28, some people God has designated. Now, notice St. Paul says God did this. This isn't some committee. This isn't, you know, a bunch of people that got together and thought, wouldn't it be neat if we did it this way? You know, this isn't the bishop or the pope. This is Lord God Almighty. So it says God has designated in the church to be first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then mighty deeds, then that means fourth, then gifts of healing, fifth, assistance, administrations, and varieties of tongues. Now, you'll notice tongues, once again, is last on the list. And here, Paul was very specific to say that God is designated in the church that there is a hierarchy. First, the apostles, the successors of the apostles are the bishops. So, you know, first the pope and the bishops, then the prophets, third teachers, then mighty deeds, gifts of healing, Assistance and administration, I like that right there. That would probably be talking about the deacons more than anything. But here, you know, you know what everybody thinks about administrators. Nobody likes administrators, but they made the list. And they're ahead of people who speak in tongues. And that's pretty important, all right? And so when we look then at the way Paul says that the manifestations of the Spirit are going to come about, 
Notice he said he, he doesn't say that the manifestation of the Spirit is going to come about by somebody flopping around in the aisle at the tent revival, speaking in some gibberish that no one can understand. It's going to be some sort of active service that somebody else benefits from. That's the true presence of the Holy Spirit. Okay, now, so I think we're going to take a little break there, and then when we get back from the break, we're going to go over to chapter 14. Chapter 14, that's where St. Paul really takes on the whole um, theme about speaking in tongues and what that means and what that does not mean. So everybody sit tight and we'll be right back. Hey gang, we are back, and I am Father Fred Gatchett, the Vicar General for the Diocese of Salina. I'm the Rector of Sacred Heart Cathedral in Salina, Kansas, and also part-time religion teacher at Sacred Heart High School, also here in Salina, where I teach sophomores Old and New Testament. And you are tuned into the Double-Edged Sword program here on the fine family of Divine Mercy Catholic radio stations, KMDG 105.7 Hayes, KJDM 101.7 Lindenburg Salina, KRTT 88.1 Great Bend, and KVDM 88.1 Hayes. And on the Double-Edged Sword program, we are cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. And in the first section of this um, installment of Double-Edged Sword, we've been talking about the action and the work of the Holy Spirit, kind of what a lot of people think that it should look like, as opposed to what the Bible says that it does look like. And just to kind of summarize what we talked about in the, in the previous section, basically what we saw was how there's a lot of people who seem to think that the manifestation or the way the Holy Spirit makes himself visible is by overtaking people with his presence to where they flop around in the aisles of some church or tent somewhere and speak gibberish, and they call this speaking in tongues. Now, again, I'm, I'm sounding kind of glib and flippant about that, but I don't really want to because in the scriptures, you know, the, the idea of speaking in tongues, and especially in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, St. Paul does validate that. He says it does happen, all right? But he also has shown us so far that whenever he talks about it, he puts it into a proper context in lists of other things that he thinks are much more important because he always puts speaking in tongues last, all right? And we saw earlier in chapter 12, whenever St. Paul talked about manifestations of the Spirit, they were such things as expressing wisdom and expressing knowledge and expressing faith and gifts of healing and prophecy and things like that. At the very end of the list was speaking in tongues. And then at the end of chapter 12, he talks about how that God has pointed in the church first apostles, which means the bishops, then prophets, then third teachers, and, you know, mighty deeds and acts of healing, and the very last thing on the list is speaking in tongues. So, you know, again, St. Paul so far has shown us that he's not really that impressed with speaking in tongues. What he's more impressed with is the things that the Holy Spirit motivates people to do for the good of other people. And so that's chapter 12. Now, in chapter 13, you've heard, you've heard 1 Corinthians 13 before. Basically, what Paul does here in 13, it's his brilliant treatise on love, where, you know, you, if you go to a wedding, you're going to hear this. You know, that um, if I, when, when he says, if I have the gift of prophecy and comprehend all mysteries of knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away everything I owned and hand over my body so that I may boast, I do not, and I have not love, I have nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, love is not jealous, it is not pompous, it is not inflated, it is not rude, and so on. You've heard all this before. And so basically what Paul is saying again is, is that the manifestations of the Spirit 
are not, again, it happens, but he's not really particularly impressed with people speaking in tongues. He's much more impressed when the Holy Spirit motivates someone out of love, out of Christian charity, to do good for somebody else, all right? And so when we get into chapter 14, this is when St. Paul talks about um, about speaking in tongues, because evidently um, what was happening back in those days is that there would be some Christian community someplace that would say, hey, in our church, in our, in our gatherings, we speak in tongues and you guys don't. Well, again, I'm sure a lot of you have probably heard this before. You know, yeah, I've been to Mass, or you have the former Catholic, you know, uh, well, when I used to go to Mass, another, nothing ever happened. It was boring. I now go to the, you know, happy, clappy, gospel, good time hour, and there, you know, we speak in tongues. People speak in tongues in my church. Well, St. Paul kind of seems, seems to be saying, so what? All right? Because in, um, in chapter 14, he starts off, pursue love but strive eagerly for spiritual gifts above all that you may prophesy. Now, prophesying does not mean having a crystal ball and prophesying about what's going to happen in the future. Prophesying means connecting the dots, all right? And so there's all kinds of ways that people prophesy. Parents tend to be pretty good prophets. Um, They will say such things as, you know, son, you know, daughter, you need to stay in school. Um, If you drop out of school, you can't really expect to have much of a future. Um, that's connecting the dots because you can see people who they draw, they think they know everything when they're 15 or 16 years old. They drop out of school, and you know, for the most part, you know, 99% of the time, they're going to have a you know sort of a nowhere future unless they come back and get some more training. And so, you know, that's kind of a prophetic statement: stay in school. All right, those are the kind of things that we're talking about prophesying. Okay, so so Saint Paul then he says in verse two: for one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to human beings but to God, and no one listens, for he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies does speak to human beings for their building up, encouragement and solace. And it's this idea of building up. If you read um, 1 Corinthians 14, St. Paul is going to use that term building up over and over and over again because he was he's saying that it's all about building up the church. In verse 4, he says, whoever speaks in a tongue builds himself up. But whoever prophesies builds up the church. Now, St. Paul says, I would like all of you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may be built up. So you can see here what, you know, St. Paul's acid test of anything is, no matter what we're doing, whether we're prophesying, if we're teaching, if we're administrating, whatever it is that we're doing, if it helps us to build everybody else up, then it is good and it is of the Spirit. But if only I am being built up, well, it may be of the Spirit. You know, God may, for whatever reason, in his wisdom, see fit to take any one of us and send the Holy Spirit to take possession of us, and then we try to put the experience into words and we mumble a bunch of gibberish. Well, St. Paul says, well, that happens to you, good for you, but what about the rest of us? All right? Now, if we go on in, uh, in chapter 14, St. Paul says in, in verse 13, Therefore one who speaks in a tongue should pray to be able to interpret. For I pray in a tongue, my spirit is at prayer, but my mind is unproductive. So what is to be done? I will pray with the spirit, but I will pray also with my mind. I will sing praise with the spirit, but I will also sing praise with the mind. Otherwise, if you pronounce the blessing in the spirit, how shall one who holds the place of the uninstructed say amen to your thanksgiving, since he does not know what you are saying? All right? So, in, in, in verse 18, here's where St. Paul really kind of cuts the quick. He says, I give thanks that I speak in tongues more than any of you, 
But in the church, I would rather speak five words with my mind so as to instruct others, that means to prophesy, than 10,000 words in a tongue. Now, that's St. Paul, all right? And so the, the question at hand is, you know, what is, according to the Bible now, what is the greater and more credible and more noble manifestation of the Holy Spirit? Someone flopping around and making unintelligible sounds or a parent sitting down with their, you know, their grade school kid and helping them learn their Ten Commandments. I would say it's the latter, and I think St. Paul would too. He says, you know, I speak in tongues more than any of you, but in church, when I'm dealing with other people, I would rather speak five words with my mind so as to instruct others also than 10,000 words in a tongue, all right? And so, again, if you ever hear this business of, well, well, we speak in tongues in our church and Mass is boring because I don't speak in tongues, tell them to go look at 1 Corinthians 14 because you can see that in, in chapter 12, there's twice where St. Paul has made lists of things that people do in the Spirit, and in both of those lists, speaking in tongues is last on the list, all right? And now, in chapter 14, he's saying that, well, I'd rather speak five words with my mind than than 10,000 words in a tongue, all right? Then in verse 23, here's where he says something really remarkable. He says, so if the whole church meets in one place and everyone speaks in tongues, then uninstructed people or unbelievers should come in, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if everyone is prophesying and an unbeliever or uninstructed person comes in, he will be convinced by everyone and judged by everyone, and the secrets of his heart will be disclosed, and he will fall down in worship of God, declaring, God is really in your midst. All right? So again, you know, what, what, what is St. Paul saying? If at Mass, if, you know, we decided, well, and again, I think what happens in a lot of these cases is, you know, if people can't find excitement, they manufacture it. All right? And so, you know, oh, you know, Mass is so boring, so let's all speak in tongues at Mass. And I think if, if you go off to church or, if, you know, again, if you go off to the Happy Clappy Gospel Good Time Hour and you go off expecting to speak in tongues, well, chances are you're going to speak in tongues whether the Holy Spirit wants to or not. All right? People tend to get what they go out looking for. And so I think in a lot of cases, are there, are there times when the Spirit's genuinely speaking through these people? It's possible. I'm not going to deny it for a minute because I'm not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can do whatever he wants. But I do think, though, that, um, that again, according to what the Scriptures are saying, I know one thing is for absolute certain is that speaking in tongues is not that big a deal, according to the Scriptures. And what I'm willing to bet, what I'm willing to you know, proffer this argument, although it's not backed up by Scripture, but I would be willing to bet that a lot of times when people are speaking in tongues, they're not really speaking at the behest of the Holy Spirit. They're speaking in tongues because they want to speak in tongues, all right? One of the other parts of the, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, and this is, in my opinion, probably one of the most hopeful passages in the whole Scripture, it comes from Romans chapter 8, verse 26. And so, again, if you want to know what the Holy Spirit's up to, here Paul tells us. He says, In the same way, the Spirit, too, comes to the aid of our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes with inexpressible groanings. That's kind of like the tongues business. And the one who searches hearts knows what is in the intention of the Spirit because he intercedes for the holy ones according to God's will. In other words, you know, St. Paul says, we do not know how to pray as we ought. That is, a lot of times we go to prayer and our prayer is far from perfect. Why is it far from perfect? Because sometimes we're sitting there barking out orders, telling God what he should be doing. And that's not really true prayer. 
Or we might come to our prayer with our hearts hardened. You know, we're angry with somebody else or, you know, we've got some grudges or bitterness or whatever in our heart. And that's kind of clouding or polluting whatever it is we're trying to pray to God. And St. Paul says, you know, we don't know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. That is to say that even though my prayers are far from perfect, I have the stamp of approval and the guarantee of the Holy Spirit of God himself that whenever I pray as imperfect and distracted and messed up as my prayers might be, the Holy Spirit of God is going to take my prayers and polish them up somehow and present them to God in a way that is acceptable to God. So I'll read verse 27 again. And the one who searches hearts and knows what is the intention of the Spirit because it intercedes for the holy ones according to God's will. That is to say then that, you know, that our prayers, no matter how unproductive or imperfect or you know tainted by sin they might be that is you know if we go into prayer with you know with with the best of intentions the holy we got the holy spirit on our side and we can't miss and see to me that's much more hopeful and much more instructive and much more you know gives my faith more of a boost than someone flopping around at the tent revival speaking gibberish all right that's the true power and the work of the holy spirit now, the thing of it is, we go, well, okay, that's a good Bible study lesson so far, but how does that affect us? Well, I think here, especially in the greater Ellis County Metroplex, it's easy to see. In fact, it's out there so thick you can cut it with a knife. All you have to do is have the eyes to see it. Remember, St. Paul is telling us that the manifestation of the Spirit is all about such things as administration. It's about such things as prophesying or teaching people the truth things like that that we read in 1 Corinthians 12. And then also, of course, with from Romans 8 about us you know, presenting our prayers to God and the Holy Spirit fixing them up for us. Well, the thing of it is, if the action of the Holy Spirit is to be found in such things as teaching, administrating, you know, prophesying, you know, the, the things we read about in, in, in 1 Corinthians 12, well, you look around here in the greater Ellis County Metroplex and look at what we have. We have three very vibrant parishes. You know, St. Mary, St. Joe's, and St. Nick's. There's a lot going on at all those parishes. You know, you look at our, at our two Catholic um, schools. Holy Family is bursting at the seams. They all, I think they have a waiting list now. Thomas More Prep Marion with the junior and the senior high school is going great guns. You know, things like the auction, you know, this year was very, very successful, like it always is. You look at the, at the, the Catholic Campus Center where I work. You know, we, the, I have never seen more activity and more interest on the part of the college students that I've seen down there in the past five years. When we have our Catholic Disciples meetings on Wednesday nights, that lounge is packed with college students that are coming down looking for truth. You know, they're looking for Catholic truth. And so again, between the, the three parishes and the campus center and all that's going on there, that's the power and the action of the Holy Spirit. We have a perpetual adoration chapel. Talk about Romans 8. We do not know how to pray as we ought. There are people 24 hours a day, seven days a week at the perpetual adoration chapel, praying in front of the Blessed Sacrament, offering their prayers, which the Holy Spirit is taking, polishing them up and presenting them to God. We have a perpetual adoration chapel. We've got Divine Mercy Radio. We have a Catholic radio station in this town. And you know what, folks? All these things come about the parishes, the schools, perpetual adoration, Catholic radio, all these things that we're doing when we're teaching the young with our Totus Tuus program and Prayer in Action, our CCD programs, all these things that we're doing, 
this does not happen because people are flopping around in the aisles speaking gibberish. This happens because people are possessed by the Holy Spirit in the way that St. Paul describes them being possessed by the Holy Spirit. They're possessed by the Holy Spirit, which drives them to build up the church, as we found in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. St. Paul's acid test for the presence of the Spirit is, is the church being built up? not someone flopping around in the aisle speaking some gibberish that no one can understand. Again, if you've had that experience, good for you. You know, if that helps you, God love you for it. But I'm talking about what St. Paul is saying, all right? And St. Paul, again, does not, it isn't that he, he doesn't condemn speaking in tongues because he says he speaks in tongues himself, but he says it has to build up the church. And so when you look at people who get up in the middle of the night at 2 and 3 and 4 in the morning to go to their holy hour at the Perpetual Adoration Chapel, you look at the people that put in countless hours to keep the Catholic schools viable and keep them going. You look at those wonderful catechists that come in every Wednesday night you know, and teach the little kids their, their religion classes and get them ready for First Communion and Confirmation and so on. I mean, for goodness sake, you know, we Cathedral of the Plains, the St. Fidelis in, in Victoria, is now a basilica. And why? Because of the action and the power of the Holy Spirit, you know, a hundred and some odd years ago of the Volga German immigrants that came here to build up the church, all right? That's the manifestation of the Spirit. That's the power of the Spirit. Now, the thing of it is, you know, I'll grant you, people might go, well, that just doesn't sound very exciting to me. It just sounds like a lot of work. That's exactly what it is. You're exactly right. The thing of it is, when you look at what St. Paul is telling us, and when you look at, you know, what's going on here in, in the greater Ellis County Metroplex, we can see that the, the action of the Holy Spirit is, is so thick in this town, you can cut it with a knife. And there's an awful lot of good, hard-working, well-intentioned, faith-filled people out there that by the power of the Holy Spirit and the working of the Holy Spirit in their lives, that's making all this happen, all right? So I think that, again, if you, if you look at this, you can see that this whole idea of speaking in tongues and slaying the Spirit and so on, again, I want to be careful because throughout this broadcast, I've kind of made it sound like it's kind of silly. It is attested to in Scripture, and I, again, I don't want to condemn it, and I don't want to, I don't want to belittle it or make fun of it or, or something like that. But at the same time, it has to be put in its proper perspective. And according to St. Paul, that perspective is, is that it's pretty negligible, that it's really not that big of a deal because, again, if any one of us is speaking in a tongue, that leaves the rest of us out in the cold. And St. Paul says that's no good. It has, everything has to be done for the building up of the church. And again, I think all you have to do is look around and see that the way that the church has been built up over the decades, over the past you know, century and a half or so, to see that is the action of the Holy Spirit. That's what it looks like. So that pretty much wraps it up for this installment of Double-Edged Sword. Thanks again for tuning in. Just want to remind you to visit our website at dv, that's v as in Victor, www.dvmercy.com. Um, you can also call the station at 785-621-4110. If you go to our Divine Mercy website, there are archived installments of Double-Edged Sword and also the One Body Program, both of which are locally produced by our Catholic radio stations here in Divine Mercy Radio. And those are there for you to peruse and listen to at your leisure if you want to go pick up an older installment of one of those shows that you want to listen to again. Also, check out our Donate button because um, there is where we depend on people's donations to keep us on the air and to keep the message going out to these Catholic airwaves. 
And so again, we thank you for tuning in to this installment of Double-Edged Sword here on Divine Mercy Radio. And we'll see you on the next time. Thanks for tuning in. Goodbye and God bless.